Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today our guest has three special titles. She is a clinical assistant professor, a small animal hospital medical director, and the UFCBM neurology service chief, Dr. Sheila Carrera Justice. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm excited to explore the field of neurology with you today uh, for our pre-vet students so they can start thinking about this particular specialty. But first, tell me, where did you get your undergraduate degree? I did my undergraduate at the University of Virginia. What was your major? Biology. Did you apply to vet school right away? I did, but my undergrad was a little atypical, so I actually finished undergrad in three years. Okay. Um, and I decided to apply the first time very last minute, and I only applied to five schools, Okay. and I didn't get in, which was, oh. I'm not surprised, for various reasons, knowing what the statistics are, it's tough. Yes, absolutely. Um, and also because I didn't actually have all of the prerequisites. Like oh. I said, it was a very last minute decision the first time around. Okay. So I went back home for a year, and I took some classes at the colleges in Miami mm -hmm. and filled in the prerequisites and then applied a second time. To how many schools? A lot. I don't remember, but it was definitely more than five. Okay. Um, in Probably in the teens. And wow. I got into UF. And you chose UF. I did. Good choice. So you did your DVM at UF. When you were there, did you like neuro for your coursework and your rotations? For the most part, yes. I didn't love my first year neuro course because it was... Here it's wicked hard. Uh, I'd like to think that I have made it better. Okay. <laughs> um, it is. It is really hard because neuroanatomy is weird and different and complicated and it's got different terminology and I didn't enjoy it at the time. I quickly realized that I liked things where you got to do surgery. Mm, okay. So I actually thought I wanted to be a surgeon and in particular an orthopedic surgeon okay. through most of that school. So by the time I was finishing when I was on clinics, I really liked neuro because you still have to use a drill and that kind of thing in surgery. But I also really liked ortho. And then I went and did an internship. So a small animal rotating internship at the University of Missouri. And I realized very quickly that I did not want to be a surgeon and I wanted to be a neurologist who did surgery. Why? As a neurologist, I feel like it's a little harder for me to get bored, and I have my fingers in every pie, meaning that I have to be able to do some internal medicine. Mm -hmm. I have to do a lot of radiology. I actually get to do a little bit of oncology, and I get to do a fair bit of surgery. Mm -hmm. And I realize that neurology, when you examine your patient and you have all of the things that are wrong, it's, it's like a puzzle. You have to... Put it all together. Find the one thing that explains all the things you're seeing. Yeah. And so there's there is very much a roadmap and there is a logical progression. Yeah. To it, and I really enjoy that. Okay. I'm so if you're listening, students, and you know that you don't want to be bored in your job and you like variety and you like to do a little bit of everything, this might be the right path. So where did you do your residency? I didn't actually match for a residency the first time I applied. So I did a specialty internship, okay. which turned out to be, frankly, one of the best years of my life because I moved from Columbia, Missouri to San Diego, California. Oh, sweet. And I spent a year at a large private practice in San Diego working with a couple of neurologists who taught me a ton of stuff. 
And San Diego was awesome. Awesome. And so it was a one year of basically doing nothing but neuro. And then I matched for a residency it, at Tufts, which is outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. Um, so did your residency in neuro. Friends, listen to what Dr. Carrera just said. If you get thwarted from your path a little bit, it could be the best year that you've ever had. So don't despair. Like, be disappointed, but get excited about the next opportunities. Okay. So residency in neurology. And then you came to... I moved back to the West Coast, and I took a job in private practice in Los Angeles. For how many years? Four years. How much neuro did you do in private practice? So I finished my residency, and I passed my exam. Mm -hmm. So I became a board-certified veterinary neurologist as soon as I finished my residency. And so I did nothing but neuro when I was in L.A. So I was in private practice. Ooh, in L.A. So cool. In L.A., on the West Side. (laughs) and it's it's great. So in private practice as a specialist, you generally work four days a week. Ugh. Don't let that – Long hours? Very long okay. days. Okay. They're four at a minimum 12 on average 16-hour days. Okay. So they're four very long days. Yes. And they have three days off. Yes. Um, and it was a great experience because I saw – I was at a – Big, busy hospital. I was at uh, the VCA West LA. Um, It's a really big, busy practice that has as many specialists as your average teaching hospital, your small Mm, animal teaching hospital. Wow, really? That's intense. Mm -hmm. Did you see a lot of, I'm picturing in LA, like a lot of frou-frou dogs, like fancy little. I saw everything. Yeah? Everything. Because LA is a really, you know, it's a big urban center. So I saw everything from people that lived in Bel Air and the Holmby Hills that laughed when I gave them an estimate. And then I saw people who lived in Compton and Watts that could barely afford my exam fee. And I saw everything in between. Wow. So it was a very good learning experience, despite the fact that I was already out in practice, because you you have to be able to handle everybody, manage everybody and offer everyone all the same things, mm-hmm. even if they can't choose to do everything for whatever their reasons sure, are. Sure, sure. Um, it's very diverse. Extremely diverse. And so I saw a ton of cases in a short period of time and, frankly, lived in a really cool city. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into it. After that, what was your next move? That is when I moved here. Okay. And you're the service chief of neurology. I am. So, neurology. To me, it's brain and spine. Mm -hmm. What is your pre-vet definition of neurology? It's a little bigger. So it would be brain spinal cord, and it's also nerve and muscle. Whoa. Yeah. So it's anything that involves, I mean, basically, it's con- it's control of your body. Oh, man, that's heavy. Okay. Now, you said you get to do a little bit of everything. Like, you can do some onco, you're doing some surgery, you're doing all this. What does a typical day look like, or is there no such thing as a typical day? There really isn't, because with what we do, so much of what we see is catastrophic or emergent Mm. that a lot of what we see comes in through the emergency room. And so I can make a schedule and I can try to plan my day. It took me a couple of years, but I finally accepted that my schedule is only a mere suggestion of what the day might actually end up looking like. Because prime example, one of the most common things that any neurologist deals with is a dachshund that can't walk. Yes, I was hoping you were going to say that. Yep. So the wiener dog suddenly becomes really painful and can't use his back legs. Because of how funny they're shaped? It's because they have basically short, stumpy legs. Okay. So the problem with dachshunds is that their discs in between the vertebra and the back, they're made of cartilage. Mm -hmm. And dachshund cartilage is abnormal, which is why they have short, stumpy legs. Oh. And when the inside of your disc, which is shaped kind of like a jelly donut, there's a firm fibrous outside and what should be a soft, cushy inside, 
in the dachshund, the soft cushy inside actually gets mineralized and then it squirts up into the spinal canal, which is inconvenient because then it squishes the spinal cord and then you can't walk. Oh, shoot. The good news is that we have really good statistics and we do the surgery all the time. So we can take most of these guys to surgery very carefully, scoop out the stuff that squirted out. Wow. And then they get up and walk again. Wow. So I make paralyzed dogs walk. In a nutshell, (laughs) y'all, neurology is making paralyzed dogs walk. Can you imagine not only the joy you would feel, but the joy those clients feel? Also, what a miracle. I mean, it's it really is the highlight of your day when the dog who couldn't walk now after surgery starts getting up. It honestly is. The students squeal. Everybody is <laughs> clapping. The techs are all happy. Oh. And the pain is gone, too. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So it's, I mean, science, man. Amazing what we can do. We also treat seizures. We also mm. treat a lot of other weird things. Neurology is also the place when nobody else can figure out what's going on, uh-huh. they send it to neuro. Oh, that's funny. So... <laughs> And sometimes it it is neuro and sometimes it's not. So you have to be reasonably good at everything else to mm. be able to look at something and say, yes, this is neuro or no, it's not. Yeah. Or even sometimes it is neuro, but the primary problem isn't neuro. This is just a manifestation that's neurologic because your blood pressure is off the wall. Sure. So we would get the blood pressure under control and then the neuro issue would get fixed. Totally. Wow. So – Definitely, it sounds like a lot of cross-disciplinary work going on, have to be good at critical thinking. I think it's really crucial that students know, like you said, your schedule is a suggestion. Mm -hmm. That, to me, means neuro wouldn't be for me because I am so schedule-focused. Yeah. So that's good for somebody to be adaptable and flexible. Yes. So if you go into some specialties and neuro is definitely one of them, you're going to be on call. Because the dachshund doesn't care if it's 2 p.m. or 2 a.m. Or Christmas or New Year's. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be on call, and hopefully you have people to share that with so it's not all the time. Yes. But even then, do I mind working a holiday? No, because I'm going to, frankly, fix some paralyzed dog and be able to make him get up and walk. Because that's that's what I get woken up for. Right. Yeah, so true. It's that's your present Mm -hmm. for that day. into breeds and knowing what's wrong with them. So we talked about dachshunds. What other breeds come in with like, oh, this dog's coming in. They've got this issue. So the dachshund usually represents over 50% of dogs in any study when you're looking at disc problems. Yes. But the other things, the other dogs that go into that category, frankly, anybody who has short, stumpy legs or a smushy face. Oh, no. Yeah. So all the like... Bulldogs, French pugs. bulldogs, pugs, English bulldogs, also beagles, Mm-mm. Shih Tzus, lasses, Chihuahuas. Mm-hmm. Anybody can have a disc problem. Sure. But these guys are the poster children. They're the usual suspects. <sighs> okay. Do you have any dogs? I do. In are fact. any of them those types of dogs? Yes. Oh my God, I knew it. <laughs> Why, if you did you choose to get those dogs? So I have a dachshund who oh. is 15. Oh my. Yeah, she's real old. What's her name? Mojito. Oh, cute. Um, I did not get her because she had a back problem. I got her because she had a birth defect in uh, – she had an abnormal blood vessel in her abdomen uh-huh. that was making her neuro, and she was a five-month-old puppy. I was at a university. The people were going to euthanize her, mm-hmm. and we had her relinquished to the hospital, and I ended up adopting her, and she became normal. Um, and I've actually never had to take her to surgery. Oh, wow. Perfect. Okay. All right. Good. So you – that. Don't have to worry about that one. 
And if she's made it to 15. Knock on wood. She's made it to 15. She probably will never have surgery. Perfect. Okay. So you do have one. All right. So we have the short, stumpy legs, smushy faces. Um, so we talked about disc problems. Mm-hmm. What are some – you mentioned seizures. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So seizures are actually the most common reason that a dog is going to go to a veterinarian for neurologic disease. So seizures are actually super common. Um, and in particular, the most common thing that we see in dogs is what has traditionally been called idiopathic epilepsy or basically a seizure disorder that we don't know what the, the problem is. Guys, listen, I don't know if we've ever said this on the podcast, but idiopathic is a word that veterinarians or doctors use when it's like it sounds really fancy, but it means we don't know. So learn that word. Like if you have an interview and someone asks you a question and you don't know, it'd be really funny if you're like, it's probably something with idiopathy. Like it'd be a good joke. Okay, continue. So epilepsy is really common. We see lots of dogs with seizure disorders, and most of them are otherwise normal, healthy dogs with structurally normal brains. Mm -hmm. Basically, if we did an MRI and a spinal tap, it would all be normal. Okay. But they still have seizures. So clearly, even though it looks normal, it doesn't function normally. Yep. And those dogs we manage. We have to decide, do we put you on medications? Mm -hmm. Is it worth the risk? Because you always weigh... You have to weigh the risk and the benefit of drugs. Yes. Side effects, cost of the drug, medicating the dog. Does the dog love pills, hate pills? Sure. All those things. Um, But we can significantly improve their quality of life. And most dogs with epilepsy will live a normal lifespan. Do they have to wear little helmets? No. (laughs) Sadly, if you want to know the truth, your dog's brain is approximately the size of your fist. Oh. And the rest of its head is skull and muscle. Okay, good to know. So you're telling me that dogs have seizures and we don't know why. Sometimes. Sometimes. Other times we do. And so we do see uh, a lot of encephalitis, which is basically inflammation in the brain. And most of that that we see is actually sterile. We think it's immune-mediated, which means that your immune system goes kind of haywire. It basically goes AWOL and decides to start attacking the brain as foreign. Oh, heavens. It sounds terrible. The good news is that we can actually treat this. And this is a condition that we can treat and sometimes cure. Sometimes we can treat it and we just have to manage it and they stay on drugs for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Um, Occasionally it can go poorly, but that's definitely the minority of cases. That's pretty common and that's becoming about a quarter to a third of what most neurologists see. Okay. It can manifest anywhere in the nervous system, in the brain, different parts of the brain, in the spinal cord. Yeah. But it's pretty common for it to cause seizures. Okay. Okay. So we've got disc issues. We have seizures. Any other big ticket items that we see a lot of? Cancer. Sad. Why? Uh, brain cancer? Brain cancer. Oh, God. Yeah. The Is that the oncology piece you're talking about? Yeah. That's a big part of it. And it sounds – it's really sad. The way that I look at it is – that you you really want to know if your dog your dog starts doing something funny all of a sudden. Mm. The reason to do an MRI and find out why is that if you know your dog has a brain tumor, mm-hmm. it totally doesn't mean you need to put your dog to sleep right away. What, however, it does do is give you information for you to say, I'm going to take my dog home and I'm going to feed him cheeseburgers and ice cream and I'm going to do all of the awesome things yeah, I can yeah. for whatever time I think I have left. And then when your dog gets worse, you have the information to make the really hard decision about quality of life. Sure. Right. But you have the information. Yes, you do. So does that mean sometimes you could go in and surgically remove a brain tumor? Sometimes we do. And that's super fun. It's brain surgery. It's brain surgery. That's legit. Uh Uh-huh. It's awesome. Yeah. And Um, you mentioned how small the brain is. So that means you have to have really 
like dexterous hands, right? Because it's a smaller area than a human brain. So it's we, a one... lot smaller than a human brain. The funny part, this is really fascinating. So dogs and cats and most of our four-legged patients in veterinary medicine use their brains a bit differently than we do as humans. Mm-hmm. The most obvious thing is that they don't talk. Mm-hmm. They're nonverbal. So a lot of the things that human neurosurgeons have to be really careful of yeah, are, not are not an issue for me. Right. I don't have to worry if I'm going to damage a part of the brain that is responsible for speech or that's responsible for, like, you know, a man playing the violin um, because they don't yeah. typically have that kind of dexterity. Right. No. So what I'm what I'm worry more about, and we have data and studies that have been done, are things like personality and functionality. So oh. if I do brain surgery on your dog, I need to feel comfortable that your dog is still going to act like your, your dog, dog when I'm done. Oh, okay. I also want to be really comfortable that if I'm going to do brain surgery, that your cat is still going to be able to get up and walk around and get in and out of the litter box. Yeah, I was going to – yeah, they'd have to re- potentially – relearn some skills usually they don't usually they get a little weird for a couple of days and i literally mean days yeah and then they just go back to themselves that's amazing it is because they again they use their brains differently they don't they don't do the sunday crossword puzzle no they want to chase a ball and cuddle with you kind of carnal primal nature that's going to be there no matter what totally because that comes from a very different part of the brain sure. and not where we see most of the tumors, wow. especially not the ones we do surgery on. Brain surgery. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. I'm into it. Okay. Um, so you see dogs, cats, mm-hmm. any other fun patients? Lots of fun patients. Uh, the only, only dogs and cats come directly into neuro uh-huh. because... Even though we're not a species-specific specialty, right? most of what we see is dogs and cats. Okay. <clears throat> However, we will consult with everybody else in the hospital. So we do consult with large animal, yep. which means horses, sheep, goats, pigs, yeah. and whatever else may show up out there. Uh-huh. And here at UF, we have a very big, very busy ZooMed service. Yes, we do. And in fact, I was just in ZooMed this morning looking at somebody. What was it? A bat. Oh, cute. And I love them. So we see in ZooMed, we can see everything from wildlife. We can see animals in rescues and zoos. Mm -hmm. We can also see people's pets. And so we have been involved in a slew of different cases associated with them. Um, We do a little bit of research with them, too, to figure out what is normal in some of these species that we we don't know. We just don't know what's normal. Yes. Um, We're also trying to look into a lot of the stuff with wildlife because a lot of those animals have trauma. Right. You know, they get hit by a car or they crash into a window or God knows what. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've even done some surgeries. So I did a spinal surgery in a rabbit. Cool. That was somebody's pet, and that was pretty awesome. What a he was, tiny little spine. He was a great bunny. It was kind of like a cat. Okay. Funny enough. Okay. Um, and then I also did a spinal surgery on an otter. No way. For a zoo. It did was, you have to keep it in water? Uh, no, they're because they are mammals. They can stay out of water. Yes. The, the big thing about otters that people don't realize, they're really cute. They're mean when they're awake. Oh. But when they're anesthetized, they're soft like velvet <laughs> and real sweet. They're mean? Oh, they're real mean. Why? I have no idea. Maybe there's something neurologically going on with them. They're carni- All of them. They're carnivores. Okay. So they're predators. I guess so. But when you had it, he it was, was calm. He was asleep. And so I could love it and hug it and squeeze it and call it George. Oh, so cute. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Surgery and on honor. I will say if if I chose a specialty, I'd want one that wasn't specific to a certain animal or species so I could see more things. And mm-hmm. every species, y'all, has a brain and a spine. Yep. Yeah, everybody's got the nerves and the muscles. So that's so cool that you can yep. see everything. What personality traits and qualities do you think are important or critical to a student who thinks they want a career in neurology? You need a combination of things, clearly, for anything. I think one thing that you have to carry around with you is curiosity. Sure. Because if you get too rigid and too set in some way, you're going to miss something. Mm -hmm. And I'm always meeting patients that didn't get the memo, you know, animals that aren't doing what they're really supposed to do, things that are they shouldn't be on your list of things to worry about, but somehow they are. Yeah, yeah. So you have to stay a little curious, a little skeptical. Okay. Um, you also have to be able to f- follow some kind of a plan. Mm-hmm. So I am I am very much somebody, I believe in rules when they are useful rules. Okay. Because there are also some rules that are just silly rules. Agreed. So you have to be able to follow the useful rules with your case to make sure because if you don't do something that's part of your tests or something, you're going to miss it. Yeah. And so you have to always do, you know, the minimum set of things, which in my world means a neurological examination. What does a neurological examination look like? It varies a little bit based on the species that I'm examining. Yes. But basically we try to do things like test if an animal can see, can they feel their face, can they move their face, do they know where their feet are in space, can they walk around normally or abnormally, Mm -hmm. Do they have normal reflexes? And how do they interact with their environment? Cool. Okay. And that's clearly going to be totally different whether it's a dog or a cat or a hedgehog. Sure. Right. Exactly. So curiosity, following the important rules. Other qualities? Because – so neurology is – it's a relatively small field. There are currently less than 400 board-certified neurologists in North America. Cool. So it's – we're the second smallest – specialty college in the ACVIM, which is the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine. Mm-hmm. The only group smaller than us is large animal internal medicine. Oh, okay. Yep. So we're a pretty small group. Um, so you do, there is some competition. So to get there, you need dedication and drive. Good to know. It's very smart, y'all, to be realistic about job outlook, what the applicant pool is going to look like, how competitive it's going to be. And for those of you who want to become veterinarians, you should already know that the field in general is competitive. So that's one more step to be thinking about. If you choose a career in this, you're going to have to work hard and you're going to have to have a lot of drive. The good news on the on the other end of it is that if you make it into a residency program, at the end of it, you are going to get a job. Right, because yeah. it's so small. It's very small. And neurologists are, from a from a practice perspective, you're going to generate a lot of money for a private practice. Mm-hmm. So a practice wants to hire a neurologist. Yeah. And from a university perspective, there are so few of us mm-hmm. that they want neurologists to come in to teach because you're going to see a lot of neuro as a general practitioner. We still need to teach general neuro to Correct. everybody yep. and what to do with it. Yes, exactly. So the job market on the on the other end of it is totally in your favor. Okay. So good. Keep that in mind. It might be tricky to start, but wonderful to finish. Dr. Carrera, what advice do you have for pre-vet students getting ready to try to get into vet school? If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. It is 
It is not the end of the world if you don't get into vet school the first time you apply. It is not the end of the world if you don't get a residency the first time you apply. Those scenarios are pretty common because there aren't many vet schools in North America. No. There, you know, there are very few residency programs and some are more competitive than others. And so it's it's common for people to have to try more than once. Yeah. Failure is the measurement of growth and success. So like Dr. Carrera Justice mentioned, do not give up. Keep going. And eventually, you might also be helping dogs who are once paralyzed learn to walk again. Thank you for being on the show. I learned so much. I'm excited. Yes. And y'all, get ready. I'm looking forward to seeing all of your stubby-legged friends get up and move around. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.